Welcome to House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you're ready to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual life in order, join us for the next hour as we meet some interesting people who will share stories of success and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. Now, here's Dr. Connie. Welcome to Dr. Connie's House Calls for the month of March. And by the way, happy St. Patty's Day for all my friends who are Irish and actually some of my relatives who are Irish, my my sons in particular. Happy St. Patty's Day. If you don't happen to be Irish, well, we're going to still celebrate this day anyway, which is named in honor of St. Patrick, one of Ireland's patron saints. And we talk about the luck of the Irish and the four-leaf clover and having good luck. Well, today's show, we'll talk about longevity. And some people think, well, gee, you must be lucky to live a long, vibrant life. But I don't think luck has a lot to do it at all. I think you have to intentionally work on living a long, good life. But first, before I talk about longevity, which is a really important topic to me as a physician, but also as somebody who wants to live long, I'm going to mention my honorable mentions for the month of March. And these are people who are celebrating birthdays this month. I've got dear friends Debbie Ziveth, who is in Napa Valley, uh, celebrating. My son, uh, Jason Stevens, who just (laughs) celebrated his 33rd birthday. Pamela Hollister, uh, Dr. Parbate Messier, who turns 40 this year. Uh, Ken Reno, who has a birthday. Harry Slayle also shares a birthday with Ken. Laura Breslow and her mother, Sonia, have the same birth month. Ellen Kozloff, Joanne Olson, <coughs> Rose Ziveth, Ken Winheim have birthdays. Also on the Ides of March, March 15th, Dr. Julian A., who has been a guest on our show several times, is celebrating a big birthday. Reiner Zim, happy birthday, Reiner. Rob Raffinan, who is my nephew out in Canada, happy birthday, Rob, he was on my show uh, a year ago, January, to talk about uh, his amazing journey with losing weight and redoing his body and just forming a a new life for himself, and he's done amazingly well. Lee Gregory, happy birthday. Tammy Fannin, also on St. Patty's Day today. Barbara Karras has a birthday, and Dr. Russell Hive. Alyssa Nave, Jerry Wolf, happy birthday, Jerry who's a neighbor of mine, Jordan Rose. Kay McGann uh, has a birthday, Sherry Antoniak, Gia Castro-Giovanni, who used to live in New York, and my dear friend, Wendy Walker-Lipschutz. Happy birthday, everybody. So among the people I mentioned who are celebrating their birthdays today, one in particular, who I won't name her, uh, turned 85 years old. And people would think, oh, my gosh, 85, that's that's really old. Well, we don't look at it as old. I don't look at it as old. And I see her as this person I know is one of the most vibrant, active, mentally sharp people I know. She's one of the people I think will make it to 100. And so when people talk about age, they're hung up on the age thing, the ageist thing about, well, if you're older than 65, you know, you usually are retired, you quit your profession. And I said, well, what do you do? Do you just quit and die? I mean, I've already retired from the military after 20, 24 years, and then I retired from that career, but still practice medicine. And I'm still 40 years now, I've been practicing medicine. When do you retire, right? I don't want to retire. We look at moving on in life and doing the things you want to do. And a lot of the people, the experts who study longevity have seen that even though we did see a dip in life expectancy recently because of COVID, Americans overall are living longer and they're living into their 90s. Uh, there was an article a couple of years ago in the New England Journal of Medicine that said that the most productive age in human life is between ages 60 to 70 of years of age. The second most productive stage of humans is ages 70 to 80. And if you look at surveys of different populations who've been successful in achievements, the average age of the Nobel Prize winner is age 62. The average age of presidents of prominent companies, CEOs, is 63. The average age of ministers or pastors of the 100 largest churches in the country, 71. The average age of the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church is 76. So using these studies, it's determined that the best years of your life are between 60 and 80. So if you fall in that category, the best is yet to be. So the question is, what do you want to do with that time? So think about it. You're, let's say you're 60, you're, you're getting ready to retire, which I hate that word anyway. What do you want to do the second half of your life? How do you make the best of that? 
So this show, I am so blessed to have my guest today. And it came about, let me see how I found my guest. I used to, I was interviewed about 10 years ago, 10 or 11 years ago, for an online magazine called Aegeist, A-G-E-I-S-T. And they interviewed me about people who are over the age of 55. And they came out to interview me in California. And I think at that time, I was getting remarried to my husband who has since passed. But they came out to see me in California. The editor took pictures, interviewed me. And I had such a wonderful time with those people because they're very like-minded. They were very like-minded in the sense that they didn't let your age hold you down. And they looked at all the possibilities as we as we have each passing birthday, about wonderful things to do with our lives. So I get that magazine uh, periodically, and what drew my attention was an article that came out, I think, January. And in the article, they featured an author who wrote a book recently, and the author is Michael Clinton. Uh, Michael is not related to my famous patients from the White House, but he has known them and is friends with them. But Michael had written a book about the second half of your life. So before I introduce our special guest, Michael Clinton, I'm going to share a little bit about his background. He's a phenomenal person. He's achieved many things. He is the former president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines, and he now serves as a special media advisor to Hearst Corporation CEO. He is the author of Roar, R-O-A-R, like in a lion, Roar, into the second half of your life before it's too late, and its publisher is Atria Books Beyond Words, published in September 2021. And I have a copy here with me, and I've enjoyed reading it. And I'm actually going to plug this book because I'm asking all my friends to get a copy and read it and listen to what it shares. But from his working class roots, Michael has an incredible story. From working class roots to success in the New York magazine world, he shares his own journey as an avid traveler, having experienced 124 countries and running marathons on seven continents, which both achievements are amazing. He's a photographer, a private pilot, a part owner of a vineyard in Argentina, and a founder of a nonprofit foundation. He holds a bachelor's degree from University of Pittsburgh, two master's degrees from Columbia University and Pace University. Michael serves on the boards of trustees of International Center of Photography and Pace University. He's written for the New York Times, Town and Country, and Runner's World, among other outlets. He resides in New York, Santa Fe, New Mexico. So I welcome our guest, Michael Clinton. Thank you so much for being our guest today, Michael. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a great honor, and um, thank you for that generous introduction as well. I, I'm just in awe of what you've done in the world, world of media, advertising. I mean, you've seen so many things change over time, and there are we always talk about a small world. We were exchanging, we were comparing our interaction with Bill Clinton, and and we realized after we compared notes that you and I were in this in the same area uh, about around 2001, right after he left office. President Clinton came out to speak to your organization, and I greeted him at the golf course that morning when he arrived. So I think. Isn't that interesting? Our paths sort of almost crossed right then and there. What a small world, huh? Yeah, we 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 were just we were yards away from each other, <laughs> and we didn't we didn't meet. But he did come and speak to the Hearst management team. It was a wonderful evening that we had with him, and he, you know, talked a lot. As you know, he's such a compelling speaker, and talked a lot about what was happening in the world at large. So yeah, we have that uh, one degree of separation. Oh, amazing. You know, I read your book. I think it's fascinating. Could you share with the listeners what inspired you to write this book? Well, you know, when I was stepping out of the day-to-day or thinking about stepping out of the day-to-day after a 42-year terrific career in the magazine business, I started reading and researching and listening to people, and I realized that everyone was talking about winding down. And, And my whole brain was saying that I wanted to wind up. I wanted to do new things, and I wanted to do new chapters. And you mentioned this earlier. Longevity is very much a part of what we're all going to be experiencing in you know the next 10, 20, 30-plus years, um, ourselves included, in terms of the boomers. 
And so I decided that I would, I, there wasn't anything that was written on this topic, so I, I began the process. I ended up interviewing 40 incredible human beings who I call the reimagineers, people who have completely flipped the script and are not following the path that we thought we were supposed to path, but reinventing and reimagining on every single front. And then we did some, you know, great practical tips and resources and so forth in the book as well, so that people could be inspired as well as informed. So as you wrote your book and you interviewed these amazing people, the reimaginers, um, what kind of lessons did you learn from this and what kind of stories stand out in your book? Great, great question. Uh, I, I would say that the, the number one lesson is that these people were very curious, interested, dynamic, engaged, and they came from all walks of life. And that innate characteristic made them think about what might be possible in a second half of life. All of them spent a good year or so going deep into their into themselves to decide where they wanted to make a change or a pivot. Some of them did remarkable things. One of my favorite stories was a 53-year-old woman who was a book editor, had a bachelor's degree in English, and decided at 53 that she wanted to become a medical doctor. Oh, wow. And you, of all people, know that journey. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and what that, what that took. But, you know, she, she took the journey. She tells her story, how she did it. Um, by the way, she had it all funded through scholarships, I might add. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money out there for yeah. people in midlife. Um, she's in her early 60s. She's now a doctor. And she said, you know what? I'll be a doctor for maybe 20 or 30 years. And that's, that's great. That's yeah. a great second career. It's a contribution to the world and to my own self-satisfaction. So I love Stephanie's story. That is amazing how she made that big jump and you know, the, the investment it took and really the courage to, to do that. Mm-hmm. It, it does take a lot of courage. What are the st- well people? You know what keeps people from making this change? What what keeps people from wanting to jump into this and, and reinvent themselves? I think what I heard from a lot of the people um, one was is fear. You know, fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. The, the second thing is where do I start? And there's always some good good insights in the book from people in terms of how they started. But the biggest thing I would say is there's a lot of self-imposed ageism. Mm -hmm. You know, we say, well, I can't do that because I'm too old, or I can't do that because that's not age-appropriate, or I can't do that. And we put ourselves in the box as opposed to saying, well, you know, I can have an entirely new second career at 60. You know, I can have a whole new lifestyle at 70. I can fall in love and remarry at 80. I can do all of these things. But the ageism thing, which is culturally imposed, and by the way, ageism affects all of us, regardless mm-hmm. of our gender or our race or our religious beliefs or our, you know, our backgrounds, everyone is affected by it. And breaking through that is critical in order to move forward. And m- many of these reimagineers have mastered that. You know, you brought up really a good point. It's, it's people's attitudes towards aging, and I, I, they'll say, well, I'm just too old to do that. And I mm-hmm. think what you bring out is examples of people who, who just don't buy that story of that you're never too old. If, I, I love the phrase, you're never too old to live happily ever after. And <laughs> they keep imposing that. They keep saying no instead of looking, well, why not? Why can't I do what? this? And when you bring examples of somebody who decides to go to med school in her, in her mid-50s. It's like, well, good for you. You can do it. You mm-hmm. can practice another 20 years, your 60s to 80, make a difference, touch so many lives and do that. So we've actually got a little notice here to go to a quick break. We'll come back, Michael, in a few minutes. And I want to ask you more questions about your amazing book, Roar, into the second half of your life before it's too late with author Michael Clinton. So stay tuned uh, after the break with Dr. Connie on House Calls. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? 
My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families. Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano, this is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Welcome back to House Calls with Dr. Connie and my special guest, author Michael Clinton, who's lived an amazing life, and he has many, many, many more years to live. Uh, he's the author of the book, Roar into the Second Half of Your Life Before It's Too Late. And Michael and I were discussing uh, the the whole issue about ageism and how people hold are held back, young and old, and we don't even really look at old anymore. Uh, we're... we're we're sort of redefining it, aren't we, Michael, with our ages? I mean, what are you seeing about yeah. redefining aging? Yeah, I think, you know, there is the, I'm, I'm going to call it the next big social movement, because here's some interesting stats. You know, 34% of the U.S. population is already 50 plus, and every day 10,000 people are turning 65, and in 2030, one in five will be over 65. Wow. And I think this this whole group of of people are saying, you know, I I want to redefine what it means to live longer, and I don't want to necessarily do what I was told this construct was that was created. Quite honestly, in the 1930s and 40s, retirement was created, and most people, the life expectancy in those days was in the early 60s, so people would work, and then they would retire and live a few more years and, mm-hmm. and leave mm-hmm. the earth. Well, if you're 60 and healthy today, you have another 30 years to live. Exactly. And there's a lot that you can accomplish in those 30 years, and I think this this group of, uh, of people are beginning to say, I want to be the new reimagineer. I want to be the role model. I love I love the expression "60 is the new 60." Let's forget. <laughs> let's stop saying "60 is the new 40." Mm-hmm. You know, be the role model for the next generations as well. And so, I think they're doing all sorts of incredible things with new careers, new lifestyles, new 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 kinds of beginnings. And I think this is this social movement is alive and well and happening now. So you talk about reimagining your your new life, and in your book you talk about the the your principles. You you say it's the roar. Uh, it, it, the letters mm-hmm. stand. Can you share with the listeners what roar stands for and and how that's been an amazing guide for people reading your book? Absolutely, thank you. I, I wanted the book to. I didn't want the book to be homework. I wanted mm-hmm. the book to be fun and informative and interesting. And so. The construct of it was an acronym. So the first R in ROAR is reimagine. And one of the favorite questions I have is, what is your favorite future and what does it look like and how are you going to get there? And, um, you know, lots of interesting stories and fun stories and tools in, in, in the R of ROAR. The O is, you know, own your stuff. You know, you've got to, there's some fundamentals. You have to own your health metrics. 
it's amazing to me how many 50-year-olds don't know their blood pressure or right. their heart rate. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm talking to you, and, of course, mm-hmm. you know how important that is. Um, but, you know, own your financial situation, own your age, you know, own, own, the, own where you are right now. You've got to take a real hard look at yourself and all fronts before you can really move it forward. A is the action plan, and, you know, one of my favorite chapters is something I call life layering, which is in the book, which is a, 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 something that I've used personally for over 25 years in my life. And then the final R is reassess your relationships, because when you're in midlife and you're ready to pivot in some way, you need the support of your, your spouse, your partner, your kids, your friends, the ones who are going to be proactive in your goals, because we all know that person who will say, well, why, why do you want to do that? You know, you're 60. Shouldn't mm-hmm. you be winding down? Mm-hmm. You know, and you want to go the other way. You need to find those pe- people who are going to support you. So, as we said, the book is packed with great stories of people who exhibit all of those four parts of the acronym. I, I think you. these are really, it's a great acronym because I've, I've been doing that for myself. I'm always, every every year on a birthday, I, I'm asking, am I living the best life I, I can imagine? Mm. And mm. I actually give your book out for, for birthday gifts to people because it makes them oh, thank you. sort of do an assessment, where am I now? Mm-hmm. And every time I do mm-hmm. people's physical exams, I, I go over the risk factor. I look, you know, obviously the genetics part, the genetics part we can't influence too much. You know, your parents are your parents, but you look at mm. your lifestyle, but you also look at your mindset. And what your book is doing is focusing on the mindset that 65 is not old, 70 is not old. And if you talk to my 85-year-old patients, that's not old. And it's how you look at life and, and, and how you keep interest in the things you do. How have you applied this? When, when you were getting ready to, to transition from, from corporate America to what you're doing now, was that, was that difficult? Or, or did you apply all the principles of ROAR to that? You know, I, I did. And one of the things that, you know, I learned when I, as a young man when I was the publisher of GQ magazine, which is a great fun job, mm-hmm. is one of my senior um, executives in our company reminded me that, you know, we all live in a seat. Many of us live in a seat that is rented mm-hmm. when you work for a company, if you don't have your own name on the door, so to speak. Yeah. And that if, you, if you self-identify by that seat, you're going to be in trouble because someday that seat's going to go away. And if you haven't built uh, multiple personas and identities for yourself, you're going to go off the cliff. Mm-hmm. So I was always very conscious of that. I made the decision. So I'm 68. I'm 68 is the new 68. I'm a proud 68 <laughs> year old. Um, when I was uh, leading the day to day at the age of 65, I decided to go back to school and get a master's degree at Columbia, and of course, you know, taking tests and writing papers mm-hmm. all over again was sort of a, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're back to my, oh, my 20 something. Yeah. But, but the, the, the stimulation, you know, lifelong learning is so important. You don't have to take a, get a master's. You can, you know, take courses online or, or go to a, a local community center and take courses, but lifelong learning is important. So I, I use that as part of my transition. And then, of course, I wrote, I wrote the book. And as you said at the top of the show, I'm involved in lots of different things, nonprofits and um, different activities that I'm involved in. So I kind of built this portfolio life. So I was prepared. And I think the key thing is to really spend the time a year or two before you're making a big change to really prepare yourself and get yourself set up. So when the, the day comes, you comfortably move into the next phase of your life. Right. Rather than make it a, a drastic, I'm, I'm done with that job. One of the things I noticed among my CEO patients who don't plan in advance is they, mm-hmm. they die sooner when, because yeah. their whole identity is, is their business card. Yeah. And when they are no yeah. longer the, the king of the kingdom in that particular kingdom, mm-hmm. they have nothing to do. And you can only play golf so much. Right. And right. and they, I say that all the time. Oh my gosh! It's like that's it. I said so. W- when they tell me they're planning to sell the company, and I said so, what's next? And mm-hmm. and 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 so I always encourage them take the time and reflect. What do you want to envision? What you know? Obviously, your health is very important. You you and you bring that up in your book as you know the metrics. You know your numbers. You know your blood pressure. You you, you go for your routine care. You, you you make sure you don't pass prematurely of 
preventable disease, diseases that we could have prevented. So you focus on that, but then you have you envision what happens next. You talk about relationships. Do you have your group of sort of your fans who are support group? Are there other friends who are like minded? Oh, yeah. Yep, travel partners. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I try to surround myself with obviously people like that. You know, one of the great tools that I did, and I'll talk about this in the book, it's a fun little exercise, is to ask your 10 of your friends and family to, to give, that, give you five words that describe you in their mind. Hmm. And then plot out those responses, because oftentimes we have self-perceptions that don't match up with the people who love us the most and are closest to us the most. And what, what I got out of my, I asked 12 people, I got nine out of the 12 people said generosity was a, mm. was a way to describe me. And that, that to me was a self-identifier, a big one uh, in my own mind, because I believe in generosity of time, spirit, money, all the above. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I say to people, if you don't know what you want to do, go through that little test. And then when you get the word that, that really emerges, mine that word. Because therein lies your real possibility. One of the great stories in the book is a woman who was an elementary school teacher in a small town in Georgia. And all of her family and friends said, you are the funniest person we know. And so funny was her word. Mm. And her daughter, her daughter said, you should go to an open mic at a comedy club. And Patricia said, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> and that's <laughs> funny. To a yeah. comedy Exactly. That's funny answer itself. They went to a comedy club in Atlanta, and she got up on stage and just kind of, she said, as she said, she became another person. Wow. And to make a long story short, she is now a stand-up comic at 60 years old. <laughs> she does the circuit. You know, she's at comedy clubs all over the Southeast, the pandemic aside. Mm-hmm. But she took that word funny, and she, as I like to say, she made a meal out of it. And so it's a great way to sort of, if you, if you don't know where to go, go through that little process and then mind the word that lands on on you in terms of your friends and your family. I love that. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to adopt that and, and ask mm-hmm. and, and share that because one of the things I ask patients when I meet with them is, you know, many questions for have them to contemplate. And one of the ones, there, there's the two segments there. I mean, I always ask, what would make life better? And it's quite interesting because mm-hmm. there are quite a few who are billionaires, and this is, you know, an, another jet won't make it better. It's usually relationships. Then I say, <laughs> uh, if you won the lottery, the Powerball, so let's say you got $500 million, what are you going to do? And then on top of mm-hmm. that, if I gave you some bad news and told you you have a, a horrible cancer, unfortunately, and there's nothing we could do, and you have six months left, what are you going to do? But I like your mm-hmm. – I like what – you bring about was the, the five things that describe you and how it resonated the generosity. Mm-hmm. One of the things I love mm-hmm. to tell people is look at what you the, the three T's your time, talent, and treasure. And the treasure mm. part is your wealth, it's your, your gifts, and, and that's a wonderful thing. It's about the generosity, what resonates that describe mm-hmm. you. Because a lot of times you don't know until someone says, right. oh, this is, you're all about this. Don't you know that? And you're like, right. I never yeah, knew. Exactly. That, right? Exactly. Oh That's wow! Exactly right. You 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 absolutely hit it right on the nail on the head. Wow! I've never I never realized that. But I, I love how you know you've got to be around your biggest supporters. And somebody goes, somebody asked me, how do I know someone's my biggest supporter? And I said, well, who are your cheerleaders? Who is obviously mm-hmm. your spouse, your partner should be your biggest cheerleader. But among your friends, and then how do you know your closest mm-hmm. friends? If something good or bad happened, who are the first five people you would call? You know, and everyone's got right. sort of that list of the, of the people doing that. But, you know, I look at your life, and you've lived a pretty amazing life. Have, have you thought of writing your memoir of your life? Have you done that? Well, you know, here, here's one of the other little fun uh, games in the book. Go, go to 90 mm-hmm. and work backwards. Oh, wow. What, what, you know, it's sort of a variation on your, your questions that you ask your patients. And I say go to 90 and work backwards and write, write out what you want to accomplish and what, is, what will happen in your life between now and then. So I'm 68. If I go to 90, mm-hmm. I hope to live to be 100. But mm-hmm. if I go to 90, I've got 22 years. What am I going to do with those 22 years? Mm-hmm. It really focuses you on, you know, what's, because as we all know, as we live longer, you know, we don't live forever. And so in 22 years, how do you pack in what you want to do? Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a great, this life layering concept is a great way to do that. 
So, you know, I think that's a, that's a good exercise to go through as well. Well, I like that exercise because it forces you to do that. You'd be surprised. I, I have a handful of patients who, who don't even want to talk about their advanced directive and their will. And I always say, listen, you got to make sure that that everything's set up. And then once you set up, don't mm-hmm. worry about it. And then focus on your right. philanthropy. I mean, and you believe in that. Right. You believe in philanthropy and generosity and, and just, you know, your legacy of, of giving, of, of helping other yeah. people. So as you envision the, the future of your life, what's left on your bucket list? Probably a lot of things. Well, you know, yeah, a lot of things. I mean, I want to keep running marathons as long as I can. I want to keep you know, traveling the world, obviously. I want to be a lifelong learner. I want to, you know, it's interesting in writing this book, which has hit, a, hit such a strong chord with so many people. I've now realized that I want to be a, uh, a bigger voice in this space. Mm-hmm. And so I have, um, we've launched a newsletter, which people can sign up at RoarByMichaelClinton.com. I'm uh, becoming a contributing writer to Esquire magazine and to Men's Health magazine and their websites. Um, so I want to be a voice in the space, um, and that's going to be important, especially there are going to be so many issues confronting a longer-living population. There are going to be so many issues around, around health care, as you know all too well. Around, you know, there are fortunate people who've been able to, you know, accumulate a good financial, uh, un, you know, underpinning. But there are many people who are going to live long lives who are going to struggle. And so it's going to be a crisis in our country. So how do, how do we, you know, is the government going to fix it? Is private business going to fix it? Will foundations fix it? You're going to have, you know, a lot of people who may be healthy living into their 80s and 90s but may not have, you know, the financial wherewithal. So, you know, then we can talk about, you know, the the difference between aging at home and aging in in nursing homes, which is really complicated. More people want to age at home, and as they should, we should have more intergenerational housing, which will, will change the whole model in terms of senior living because people want to be surrounded by, by people of all ages, which I think is important. So a lot of these topics are going to emerge and really become sharpened in the next 10, 20 years as this, as this uh, baby boomer group lives longer in ages. And, you know, the boomers, they love to change everything. I know. Turn everything upside down. Right? So we've, we're going to pause, Michael, for a quick break and then come back. And I yep. want to continue on about the, the, the movement we're going to work on and of which you're going to be a part of for our generation. So stay tuned on House Calls for more with Michael Clinton. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the President of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families, Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano, this is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. 
You are tuned in to House Calls with former White House physician, Dr. Connie Mariano. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to drconnieradio at gmail.com. That's drconnieradio at gmail.com. Now, back to House Calls with Dr. Connie. Welcome back to Dr. Connie's House Calls for the month of March and where we started saying Happy St. Patty's Day and it's the luck of the Irish that I have author Michael Clinton on board to talk about longevity and his amazing book, Roar into the Second Half of Your Life Before It's Too Late. And we were on a roll with Roar here with Michael Clinton about how our, our generation and is going to change a lot of how we look at aging population. Do you want to cite those numbers again, Michael, about how many people in their hundreds and 90s in the next 30 years in this country? It's a large number. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what's interesting is today there are 90,000 centenarians, people who are 100 in the U.S. The projection for 2060 is that there will be 590,000 and the projection for 2100 is it'll be 3.5 million in the U.S. and 19 million globally. So, you know, the, turning 100 is going to be normalized in, in many ways. Stanford University just put out a really interesting study called the New Map of Life, saying the 100-year life is already here. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to mean, you know, a lot of different kinds of lifestyles and living and lifespans and life cycles in the second half of life. That's that's incredible. I my I was looking back at my clinic <clears throat> since I moved here to Arizona 20 years ago and my oldest patient lived to 102. And the only mm. reason I think she decided to pass at 102 was she was she was tired and she had a pacemaker mm-hmm. and she I she was due to have her pacemaker battery change and she says no I don't want you to do that. I said but mm. you know your your heart is going to slow down and stop at, at and you need your battery. She says I don't want you to renew my battery. She says everybody I have loved is gone. And mm-hmm. she says I'm ready to go and I said okay we'll we'll go ahead and prepare and she had her own home and she had a private nurse. And I, I called her children. Her children were in their 80s. And wow. it was, they were like, Mom is ready? I said, yeah, your mom's decided. And it actually took her about a month. She just stopped, didn't want to mm-hmm. eat. And she passed very peacefully. But she was still sharp uh, until the very end. But it was the point where there was a whole bunch of things that what makes for a great centenarian's life. And I love, I quote the Blue Zones. I, I interviewed the uh, the author of that book. The other person I've interviewed before is J.L. Shansky from University of Chicago, who's, who studies aging in the American presidency. And mm-hmm. how they used to think the American president was in their, you know, young, and look, you know, you've got the oldest president now. And mm-hmm. so age should not hold people back. As long as you're mentally alert, astute, you've got the energy, all that, Age should not be an issue if you can still do the job. And you look at people where they make it mandatory retirement, right, to to retire. Uh-huh. And fine, uh-huh. if it, you're going to retire from a job, go do something else. And I think you open up a whole different way of, of looking at as with people with each birthday. What, what does 100 years old look like for us? And it is yeah. not a death mm-hmm. sentence. It is it's something where you can envision. And I think your book opens that up to how you can – envision your life. What's the hardest thing for you as, as you look at envisioning and, and moving forward in the second half? Are there things that are the most difficult to, to, to deal with or to, the challenges there that you see? You know, for me per- personally, not yet. Um, you know, I'm very healthy. I'm very active. I'm very athletic. I ski, I run, I, I hike, you know. So, um, you know, I've had a successful business career, which has allowed me to build, you know, a bit of a financial security. But, you know, for for many others, you know, that may not be the case. I mean, people who have health issues, certainly, mm-hmm. or financial struggles that as, they're, as they're getting older. But I think there are solutions for all, for everyone. And we touched on it earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, in the book, I wanted to make sure I was, I was 
talking about everyday people mm-hmm. as well as mm-hmm. educated professional pe- people. And one particular woman who I love talking to, she worked in a restaurant. She was a restaurant worker. She um, decided that she needed to get out of that business, and the pandemic didn't help because the restaurant obviously was closed. And she went online, and she got a free education in her 50s about how to become both a farm tech, pharmacy tech, mm-hmm. as well as a nurse's aide. Wow. And she, her. she became, yeah, she became a nurse's aide, and she's absolutely loving it, and she's now going to take it to the next level and start pursuing a um, either the next level of the, l- of the nursing experience, which I think is, you, you would know better than I would, l- a licensed practical nurse, perhaps. LPN, LPN, and, yep. And she, LPN, and she's going to do this all, it's all free that she's been able to do. There's something called MOOCs, Massive Open Online Courses. Mm-hmm. So people can, even if you have, you know, financial, um, you know, s- struggles or issues, there are ways to, to find new paths. The, certainly, the healthcare world is just going to be explosive with in, with opportunities in the next you know ten, twenty, thirty years as the American population in the world lives longer. So, there's that. I think you know, health. You've got to take on the responsibility, right? One yeah. of one of my favorite stories in the book was a woman who she had gained a hundred pounds. She was um, sixty. She was had a very high stress job. She lost her best friend to cancer mm-hmm. and her she realized she needed to really take a take an assessment right mm-hmm. she got the support of her husband and her kids she quit her job she spent one year getting healthy getting fit she lost 100 pounds she's an active hiker now and and in sports person she um ended up becoming an entrepreneur and by the way the Kaufman Foundation in Kansas City the fastest growing cohort entrepreneurs in the country are 55 to 64 year olds great and it's yeah at 62 she launched her own entrepreneurial business which is she talks about in the book and she's you know healthy and she's an entrepreneur and she's happy in her life and her marriage and her and all the above and so there's always a, there's always a solution but you have to really do the work and yeah. I think that's the key, right? You always have to do the work. Right. And it's so true. You can't delegate someone to do your work. You, you talk, mm-hmm. It's really a mindset that you said, listen, I, mm-hmm. I have other interests. I'm going to do other things. Obviously, you've got to focus on your health. I always tell people, be diligent but not neurotic about your health. Hire somebody. <laughs> well, you know, listening to you, it tells me I can't retire yet from medicine because people still need me. It's funny. My, I have a I have three grandchildren, ages six, four, and three, and my six-year-old was at my house in Sedona over the holidays, and they call me Lola. Lola is Filipino for grandmother, and she says, Lola, what are you doing? Because I was emailing a patient. It was about 8 o'clock at night, and she goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm contacting a patient. She goes, why do you still work? Mm. And I was going to kid her. I was going to say, well, it pays the mortgage. But I said, you know, Addie, <laughs> it's because people need me. It's because they need me. Mm. And I can help mm. people. You know, And really, it's because I, I can help mm-hmm. people. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh, she thought, that's really cool. And, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if you can use your talent, your time, your talent, your treasure, and, you know, if you were counseling me, you know, what else would I do? And, and I, love my, I love writing books. I wrote my memoir a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And actually, that right. has been optioned to a and I can announce it now because it's been optioned to A&E Studios. And that actually was on the – they announced it about a month ago. And so they huh. are going to do a television series based on my memoir. It's fictional. Fantastic. Imagine, well, yeah, is that great? It's Imagine West Wing meets Grey's Anatomy with Downton Abbey. So the screenwriter mm-hmm. is Bill Harper, who wrote Grey's Anatomy, mm-hmm. a lot of the scripts, and hopefully by fall season. But for me, this is the fun part. This is the media. This is the TV series. How, that's a whole different world, whole different language, which I just love. It's it's almost like it's well, like play, right? Totally different. That, 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 first of all, it's phenomenal. And what we we did not talk about this beforehand, but my company is, owns fifty percent of any. All right. So, so we should make it successful. We're all right, we're, we're related, related again. Um, well, I just told them. Yeah, Disney isn't it great? Hers, so. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, yeah. you know, it, yeah. It, I think I think you touch I think you touched on something really important. 
And it's what we talk about a lot in the book is the, the creative gene that we all have. Mm-hmm. We all have something. Right. And creativity is something you can do for your entire life. There's no time spent, mm-hmm. time stamp on it. Mm-hmm. And what I like to say to people is, you know, sometimes people say, well, I don't know what I would do. I say, go back to your younger self. Go back to your teenage self. Go back to your 20-year-old self. What did you leave on the shelf? What was it that was, from a creative standpoint, let's say, what was it that you dreamed about? Did you want to be a musician? Did you want to be a writer? Did you want to be a painter? Did you want to be... Pick, pick a creative expression. Pick up on that thread. Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, I'll use another story in the book, a woman who was a sales executive, and she was in her mid, mid to late 50s, and she always wanted to be a mystery writer, novelist. Mm-hmm. It was always, she would write dabble over the years, and you know, but she, life got in the way. She had to make a living, put, you know, pay, pay for the mortgage, as you say, raise her kids with her husband. Anyway, in her mid-50s, she went back to, uh, she started taking writing classes, she started going to uh, the Dan Brown Master Class online, mm-hmm. she went to, she joined the Writers Guild uh, of America and went to their convention, she sat down and she wrote a novel, she had 170 rejections. Oh, yeah. And she uh-huh. said, you know what, I'm still going at it. Good girl. She put that novel in a, she put that novel in a drawer and she wrote a second novel, mm-hmm. and it got bought. And she's 66. She's now publishing her sixth novel. Oh, great. And she calls herself, and she said, for the rest of my life, I'm going to be a mystery novelist. I'm yes. Be a, you know, yes. I can write for the rest of my life. Good. And, you know, I love it. So you're embarking on a new creative expression of your book in a new medium, and that's fantastic. Well, you know, you, look, you mentioned looking back at your childhood, and the first thing I remember mm-hmm. was in sixth grade writing short stories and winning awards for that. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't medicine. It was, it was writing, and it was communication. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think the reason I went into medicine, people have great stories. You can, mm-hmm. I can ask mm-hmm. more of people in my exam room than a journalist could. If I wanted, well, I was newspaper editor from my high school, so things always mm-hmm. gravitated towards media and news and, and the different things that encounter with the media world. But it was always the story. What's the story? What are those characters? And being a physician gives you that special glimpse into personal lives, personal emotion. And it, it, it's such a, you know, with science, but still, it's the human being. And people say, well, why do you still practice medicine? And I said, because I'm doing research. I'm doing research into the human into the human element, mm-hmm. into the human mm-hmm. suffering, into human challenges. People have great stories. Yeah. You can't make up some of the stuff I see in my exam room. <laughs> I mean, some <laughs> things, people yeah. are just, it's yeah, like, really, sure. that happened? You know, really, it's, it's yeah. the things that do that. So how do you, I mean, you, you're a high-energy person. You're, you, you, you exercise, obviously. You're a marathon runner. You have lots. How do you recharge your batteries? Well, it's funny you say I um, I recharge my batteries by going out for a run. <laughs> um, but I also um, people like to say, "Well, don't you ever kick back?" And I'm like, "Sure, I do. I sit and you know, and I'll read a good book or I'll you know binge on Netflix like everyone else." Mm-hmm. You know, it's all a question of you, you touched on your three T's. It's a question of how you use your time. Mm-hmm. And what I think is is a great way to master that is to, in my business, we have a very important word. It's called editing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, when you're publishing, you edit to the core essence of the story that you're trying to tell in an entertaining way. And I think editing in our lives is really important. Take out the extraneous things that don't matter. Take out the extraneous people that don't matter. Take out the, you know, the non-productive things that don't bring you personal value. And, you know, I work on that every single day and every week, and I'll, I make tough decisions. Like one of the things I joke about in the book is I say, you know, all my friends know that I do not do brunch. <laughs> I, I don't like the concept of brunch. I don't like the idea of three or four hours in the day, and I don't like the idea of drinking champagne in the middle of the day. Uh-huh. And everybody knows not to invite me for brunch <laughs> because I want, <laughs> I want to go and do something more productive with my, my day. Right. Um, so, you know, editing to your core and how you, the, one of the beauties of living longer is that we know more about ourselves. We know what appeals to us. We know what doesn't appeal to us. And we get to make decisions, decisions and choices about how we want to spend our time. 
And I always say to people, be brutal about it. Yeah, there's there's yeah. no, there's no. Um, it's not selfishness. It's 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 really focusing on your north star. You know, there's a great book that was written, and I always pick it up occasionally. It's got a daunting title. It's called "The Five Regrets of the Dying." Oh yes, I've read it. And it was yes, yes it's excellent. Right? You know it. Excellent. It, it was written written by a hospice nurse. Yes. She listened to people who were leaving leaving you know the earth and. One of the themes of the, the five regrets was people said, I wish I had been more true to myself. Mm-hmm. I wish I had listened more to my own self in terms of what's important to me. And that editing of your time fits into that. So, you know, I'm really good at that because I have focused on it for so many years and try to teach that to family members and, and friends and say, listen, you don't have to do that if you don't. You know, stick up for yourself, you know, state that you don't want to do it. And so that's important. Wow. You know, those are words of wisdom. And actually, you ought to do a TED Talk about looking at life from the lens of what you've done as a profession, as an editor. You know, I can't believe this hour is almost over, Michael. You have been an amazing guest, and I'm going to mm-hmm. tell everybody about your book. I'm actually giving it as birthday presents to my friends. But I want to thank you for your wisdom, your experience, your your time, your talent, your treasure, but you're also your inspiration and in what you do and and how to make the best part, really the years ahead that we have. But it's the mindset of looking at the years we're gifted and having. And I, I want to thank you again for being my guest. I hope you spread the message about things that you share in your book, Roar. And I hope to meet you on the uh, on the journey in the next few years. Yeah, thank you. No, thank it's you. been it's been absolutely wonderful chatting with you. I think it's very special for me to talk to you today because I am Irish <laughs> and uh, the grandson of Irish immigrants. In fact, I even have a, I was born in the U.S., but I also have an Irish passport. So I'm very Irish in many ways. And so it's, it's sort of um, a very special day for me to be with you um, and chatting with you today. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. And thank you, listeners, for listening in on House Calls with Dr. Connie and Michael Clinton. Have a great month. Take care. Thank you again for joining us this week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. We'll be back next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week.